Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. Uh, good morning. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. I'm Pastor Randy Lovelace, and I serve here as lead pastor. It's great to be with you this morning, and I want to welcome all of you who are visiting with us, those who are regular attenders, those who are members, those who are joining us on the live stream. So let me explain why I just did that. So I realized this morning what it was I didn't like about this setup. Um, I don't like, and it, it's just the position of it. I hate having something between us, um, and it's, it's a me thing. It's not you. So I asked to move this back, and so I can't predict where this is going to end up one day, uh, but I don't want it between us um, because I don't want you to understand sermons as a didactic moment where I just drone on, and it's something we're relating <laughs> because I think... I'm at my best when I'm able to remember that sermons come from a place of relationship, my relationship with Jesus, and sharing that with you, trusting that the Holy Spirit will lead you in the Word and in your relationship with Jesus. And we want to welcome all of you who are here. Some of you know Jesus. Some of you aren't sure whether you know Jesus, and some of you know quite clearly that you don't know Jesus. You're welcomed all. And our desire is, is that you know more of him. And this morning, as we continue in this series of Love Refracted, what does the fruit of the Spirit look like as love enters the human heart? We're looking at each of these fruit. This morning is the fruit of faithfulness. But it has been our practice. We take this opportunity to read responsibly before I release the small saints for all of them to join us as we hear and read together Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. So, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Amen. Let me take this opportunity to invite our children to go to their time of small saints to meet the great Alex Ayers right over here as she will be the fearless leader to take you where you need to go. It's been a great morning. I'm glad our children could witness uh, Henry being baptized and welcomed into this family. And so congratulations again to the Boyds and to Henry Eustace. Great name. So let's continue this morning as we look at the complimentary passage as we look at faithfulness this morning. Before I read this passage from John chapter 14, I want to just quickly say the word faithfulness that is translated there for us can be used synonymously with the word trust. It's talking about who do we trust, and that love, as it enters the human heart, developed by our gracious and divine God, through his son Jesus Christ and the work of the Spirit, love produces trust in the heart of the disciple. Trust in God, trust in Christ, trust in the Spirit. So here now, as Jesus 
is looking at his disciples, giving them something that they find hard to trust. Hear now God's word, John 14, verses 1 to 4. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may also, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we now ask through your matchless and glorious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and through the promised presence of your Holy Spirit, I ask that you would reveal to us where our trust really is. And I ask that you would redirect our trust to place it upon you. But help us to do so with the acknowledgement that this is at the heart of being a disciple and it is one of the hardest things to do. Help your people. Help those who do not know you to trust in you this morning. Help those who feel stuck in doubt and disbelief. Help them to trust. Help us, we pray, and help the teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book, The Brain That Changes Itself, there is the story of a woman named Cheryl. Cheryl is a woman in her mid-40s. She'd been an accomplished salesperson for a multinational corporation and been very successful at it. But she found herself in her mid-40s as with the feeling constantly as if she were falling, physically falling. It got so bad that it would be to a place, even if she sat on the ground, it would feel as though there were times that the ground felt like it was going to open up and swallow her whole. If you were to see Cheryl, it looks like she's drunk because she cannot walk down a hallway without the help of a wall or someone helping her down the hall. This would cause the loss of her job and would force her into disability, making close to $1,000 a month. What was happening with her and what she knew to be the case was that something was happening in her inner ear, that which is understood to be the vestibular apparatus. It has three parts to it. One part controls our ability to understand going horizontally and when we move vertically and as well as the pace at which we are moving. So her vestibular apparatus was completely out of sync with her eyesight. You and I, as we're running down the street, if we're running for a bus or an Uber, whatever the case may be, or your children, you're able to track your children with your eyes, and it's your, your vestibular apparatus that enables your body, without any conscious thought, to go where your eyes are directing you. That was 95% lost for Cheryl. And she was set up for one more appointment with yet another doctor. 
And what Dr. Paul Baccarita was recommending was something she had never seen before and required of her a level of trust. She had been poked, prodded, tested, and yet none of it helped. And on this day, along with her neurologist and her psychologist, she sat before Dr. Baccarita and he placed a helmet on her head that was also connected to an apparatus that was about the size of a stick of gum. Because Dr. Barcarita realized that there was something, of course, wrong with her vestibular apparatus, but it required some way to work around that apparatus to retrain her brain to regain her ability to be at peace and not feel like she's falling. So that day was greeted with great apprehension, hope, but a shred of trust. When we come here on a Sunday morning, many of us are clothed with the very same thing. We are clothed with disappointment, a little bit of hope, and maybe a shred of trust. That that which I'm experiencing in my life, either I feel stuck relationally or emotionally, professionally, all of these things are what we bring into this room. And we hear week after week the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are forgiven of our sins and we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ and the blood of Christ cleanses me and forgives me of my sin. And we can celebrate that, but we can leave this room and not really trust that God has us. We can walk most of our lives as professing Christians, but never really press in on the question, but do I trust him? This is the question for the disciple. What does it mean to be faithful, trusting of who God is? So this morning, as we look at this passage that we have for us in John chapter 14, you're going to see that trust that Jesus is calling us to and calling his disciples to first involves it involves the ability to understand and recognize something. It involves recognition. Secondly, it involves relationship. Thirdly, it involves risk. Trust in Jesus involves recognition, relationship, and risk. First, recognition. The immediate context of this passage is Jesus talking to Peter, and Jesus is explaining what is going to happen to him, and Jesus is also explaining the fact that there's going to be a problem with the trust of the disciples. But Peter says, "Uh uh-uh, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will will follow me afterward. But Peter said, wait a second, Lord, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, "Mm -mm, no, you won't. You're going to deny me three times. (laughs) Will you lay your life down for me? Jesus says, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So there's something that's happening in this invitation to trust, and that first thing is a recognition. One, that Peter and you and me, we are finite. We think we know 
how we're going to respond in a given circumstance. We have an over-realized trust in ourselves. Even though we know we break and fail our own expectations, but we try to show up, make a good show of it, and yet we forget that we are finite. We do not know. This last Wednesday, we celebrated and and went through the act of, of Ash Wednesday, where we say, to dust you have come, to dust you will return. Remember and consider that you are dead to sin and alive to Christ. The whole practice of Ash Wednesday, the practice of Lent, is the recognition that Peter doesn't know, I don't know, you don't know what's going to happen in the next hour and how we're going to do. We are finite, and yet God, Jesus, is infinite. That's the recognition. We are finite, but he is infinite. Let me explain. When Jesus goes on to say, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me, what is he saying? He knows. He knows the human heart that Peter brings into this great pomp and show. I'm not going to leave you. And Jesus says, yeah, you will. Do you realize what good news that is? But do you realize what kind of recognition it requires of us? Here's one thing we do know. We have an overrealized sense of our own, our, how we can trust ourselves, and we try to bring it and show it to God, and yet God keeps telling us, nope, you're finite, you don't know, you don't even know your own hearts, but I know your heart, and I come to you with infinite knowledge that your hearts are troubled, and that you are going to fail me. But the infinite promise is that I will not fail you. Trust begins with the recognition. Oh, it seems so light and so small, and yet it is oh so profound. We are finite, but Jesus is demonstrating by his knowledge of Peter's heart, his knowledge of our hearts, his knowledge of his disciples' heart, at the very moment that he's teaching them what he's about to do, they're wanting to say, no, we will be with you. And he says, no, you won't because you can't. I am the Lord. I am infinite. You are merely creation, broken and failing, yet I come to you. That is a beautiful place to start in the recognition of the challenge and call to trust. He calls us to trust But it begins by saying, "Mm, I don't know. But it also not only involves recognition, it involves relationship. When Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me, it's not the belief in some abstract doctrine about God, it's asking and calling them into a trusting relationship with him. What do I mean? What I mean is this, when Jesus is saying this, he's saying, are you willing to receive what I have said about who I am and who you are? That involves a relational Structure. He's involving them in their whole lives into recognizing that he's calling them into this relationship. And I think about what's happening with Peter. 
He's saying, even though Peter's trying to say, no, I'm gonna show up for you relationally, Jesus is saying, no, you're not. I'm here to show up for you. And I, I wanna share this as one writer wrote this. Until you hear the Lord name you as his child, until you hear the Lord name you as his child, in the depths of your heart, you will inevitably work hard to be faithful rather than working within the faithfulness of God. Do you hear the difference? Until we know that relationally, that we are his child by his choice, not our faithfulness, then that allows me to begin working and relating to God within his faithfulness, not mine. So relationally, I'm called to faithfulness and trust because I see his faithfulness to me. This is the cry of the psalmist in Psalm 139. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Trust begins in the relationship, and it means first receiving this truth. He has known every single one of us before one of our days came to be, the truth of God's word is to be received. And it is always in the context of relationship. And all of our days were ordained to be, before one of them came to be, he knows them full well from beginning to end. Trust is a part of that reality. Are you receiving this truth? Have you heard? Not the best view of yourself that you want to bring here on a Sunday morning or wherever it is you feel like you need to show up to be competent. God calls you his child and he knows you're incompetent. You're broken and frail and sinful and you do fail him. And yet he says to me, come unto me. Have you heard him say that you are his child? When Jesus says to his disciples, as I say to you in his name, let not your hearts be troubled, that is the language of relationship. Dear children, dear friends, how is fear gripping you? in this chapter of your life, in this day, I want you to hear, you are a loved child of God. Bring it, all of it, because he knows it already. But this relationship isn't just about the reception of truth, it's about the real you and the real me. 
Kyle Strobel, one of my favorite authors over the last year, wrote these words. Real relationship requires, you guessed it, the real you. To relate to God in the honesty of yourself, your heart must be exposed to God and you must be the person, that person, with him. Are you angry? Then bring that angry person to the face of God. Are you prideful? Then bring that person who's filled with pride before God. Are you selfish? Then bring that selfish person before God. It does not help to pretend that you are otherwise. You are not fooling God. To be formed by God necessitates both knowing God and knowing yourself in relationship to God. This passage is soaked with the disciples trying to say, I want to show up for the one you want me to be. And he keeps telling them, nope, that's not the real you. We are not called by Christ to bring our best selves. We bring the sin that you and I both know we struggle with. And we bring it to him, the real us. A few months ago, I mentioned to you that one of the hardest things that I've realized about being a 50-something now is how much I trust myself and not God. I profess faith. I believe in Jesus. But I will acknowledge to you one of the hardest things I wrestle with is the ways in which trusting in myself shows up in so many small ways. And one of the greatest ways it showed up for me about 12 years ago as a pastor is that I was not praying. Now, don't hear this as me telling you you need to pray for. I'm telling you my story. My story was, is that I knew where I needed to show up, how I needed to show up, and to be ready. And often that did not involve prayer. I'd become a good professional Christian. I knew how to develop sermons. I knew how to go visit with people. I knew how to do weddings and funerals. But was I praying for the sheep? Was I praying for the Lord to really move in and and really meet the honest me? And the honest me is, I have to wrestle with the fact that my lack of prayer is really just an expression of my pride and trust in myself. And it's been a glorious wrestling match. And I want to tell you, I'm wrestling. And I just want to show up to church and say, I'm a pastor and I have a hard time praying. Who can, who's with me? Thank you. Thank you. I know, I know there are other hands who would go up. But can I get an amen? So let's, let's take a, let's take a, let's take an agreement. And let's stop playing church and let's just own up. When you come to the table this morning, just own up to the fact, Jesus, 
I know I should pray, but I don't because I trust in myself more, if that's you. Jesus, I think I know how my story should go better than you because I'm here. You're not, I'm here. I see this. You don't, right? I know what I'm supposed to do. Bring that to the table. And if we're willing to show up honestly, relationally, with our real selves, not the Christian self, not the professional Christian self, but with ourselves, a remarkable thing happens that in that remarkable, beautiful wrestling of being the real us before the real God, the God who shows up in Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit welcomes you, and he loves you. And that's the one that Jesus died for. But the final point is it doesn't just involve recognition. It doesn't just involve relationship. It involves risk. Risk. And that risk is that when I bring my real self to Jesus, then I need to be ready to hear what he's going to reveal. And I want to give you some practical things, two practical things I want you to think about in regard to risk. In our class that we're teaching, You Are What You Love, we had a great quote this week that I wanted to share with you about recognizing that when I, when I come and I risk my bringing the real self to God, that I need to be ready to see what he's going to reveal. Uh, Brian Zahn writes this in his book, When Everything's on Fire. If you honestly want to encounter Jesus, here's what I recommend. Read the Gospels on your knees for six months, asking Jesus before each chapter to reveal himself to you. Seriously, try it. Don't be surprised if you eventually find yourself inside the cage, face to face with the Lion of Judah. Then you will have to decide what to do with your life now that you're gone through the wardrobe, entered Narnia, and encountered the real Aslan. I don't get on my knees every morning and do that. But my practice right now is I'm, I took one of the hardest books and I'm reading Revelation aloud to myself each morning. And sometimes it's the Psalms. And as a pastor, I say to you, as those who profess belief and even those who do not yet profess belief, I challenge you to take this risk to open the Bible itself, the revelation of God. And before you start reading, say, Lord, what do I need to hear and receive this morning or this evening or this noonday, whenever it is you want to read? Show me what I need to hear. Confront me or comfort me. Now, I will tell you, it sometimes takes days, weeks, for you to really start understanding what God may be doing. But I want to call you to this as I believe it's something the Lord has called me to because it does involve risk because he will confront, he will comfort, but he reveals and that is risky. But it's a risk worth taking and I wanna call you to it in Jesus' name. The final thing is not just what he might reveal is risky. But this final point is trusting him with the results. 
This week I had the pleasant honor of sitting across the table with a man who's known Jesus longer than I have, who's experienced all kinds of success. He's not a pastor, but he's, he's been used to the Lord in mighty ways, and he was sharing with me something I, I think he shares with most everybody that he meets for the first time as he shares his own story. And one of the things he shared was this, that for the good portion of about 30 or 40 years, he's been praying every day the following prayer. It's risky, but, but watch. He said, Lord, put into my hands what you want to give me. Take from my hands what you will and help me to trust you for the results. Put into my hands what you will. Take from my hands what you need to take and help me to trust you for the results. Here's the really risky part. He's been praying that for nearly 30 to 40 years. And over this last year, he turned to his wife and he said, honey, I think we've been living by a secret vow. And she said, what, what, what are you talking about? He said, no, I, I think we've been leave, living by a secret vow. She says, what is that? He said, I, I think the Lord is revealing to me that we've been living by the secret vow that we would never be poor again. And he opened up his life and he said, we were both raised in poverty and we've been running from that our whole adult lives and the Lord has given us success. But he said, I didn't realize that that was an operating part, a feature. And what he's come to see is a flaw in his own relationship and trusting the risky relationship with Jesus. And I don't know how the Lord is leading him and his wife in this season, but I heard that and it just was both beautiful and scary at the same time. Because I realized how easy it is to pray that prayer, take, put into my hands what you will, take from my hands what you need to take, and I'll need to trust you for the results to know that I can pray that for decades and not realize that underneath the surface, I could be living by secret vows and hoping that God will agree with it. But this is the risk. This is the call to trust. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Believe also, believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you may also be. And you know the way of where I am going. And of course, Thomas said, nope, we, we, well, we don't exactly know where you're going. Lord, uh, do we not know where you're going? How, how can we know the way? And what does Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you know you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And so he invites them into this relationship and into this risk, into this recognition of both their finite but his infiniteness. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the call to faithfulness and trust. But please know, 
It is risky. But he is good. We're going to finish this by singing a hymn together. And that hymn was written by Martin Luther. And as we sing this hymn this morning, I want you to be prepared and wrestle through trust as you sing it. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Can we trust that? He calls us to risk that we can because he is good. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I now ask that you would help us to sing, that you would help us to cry out, that you would help us to trust. Lord, we ask that you forgive us for our trust in ourselves. But Lord, we ask that you would help us to enter in again, to wrestle with you in this relationship, that you call us to risk ourselves as you have given of yourself for us, the real us. Lord, we are broken, we are shallow, we are, our love is short-lived and we are prideful and selfish and arrogant and judgmental and angry. Lord, we bring all of it to you and to the work of Jesus. Will you put into our hands what you will? Take from our hands what you need to take and will you help us to trust you for the results? Help us, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Randy, for that message about just the steadfast love of God. And it has been such a sweet morning singing some of these ancient hymns with all of you. Um, As somebody who did not grow up singing hymns in church, um, it's been so amazing to learn some of them. And this one that we're about to sing is one that you guys all know really well, but it is a really different rendition of it. Um, So if you catch on, I would love for you to sing along. But if it's a little bit tough for you guys to sing with us, um, I think this is such a cool opportunity to kind of sit and absorb the lyrics of this song in maybe a different way than we've ever heard before.
to them.